Hello, friends. Welcome to Read Them and Weep. It me, your host, Sammy. And we'll start off this episode with just a touch of housekeeping. A couple weeks ago on the podcast, I mentioned that during football season, I'm going to drop this podcast more midweek than early week. I'd like to get the, the podcast out like Monday morning so you can just like smash it on the way to work or whatever. And that's been pretty cool. But during football season, like Sundays, it's, you know, fantasy and DFS. And I have this podcast called The Gilcast that I do. And I just don't really have the available bandwidth to put this podcast together, record it, edit it and publish it. Uh, in addition to all that. So like I said, it's going to be more of a midweek thing during football season and football season, buddy, it is here. So when football season ends, we'll reevaluate and uh, probably go back to doing it earlier in the week. But for now, look for the episodes more midweek. While we're on the subject, I'm sure you've probably noticed that my recording schedule has been a little inconsistent the last couple weeks. That's definitely a function of fantasy draft season. Just been smashing a bunch of drafts and haven't had a ton of time for poker the last couple of weeks. And, you know, that's been pretty consistent for me the last couple of years, like late August, early September, and then late March, early April uh, for fantasy baseball drafting season. It's just a slower time for poker. But yeah, now fantasy draft season is over, so we can go back to being a little more consistent with this podcast. Yeah, I think that kind of fills our quota for the pussyfooting around portion of the podcast. So let's talk some poker. Like I said, I haven't been able to play a ton of poker lately. Uh, I did play a pretty fun session last week, and both hands from today's podcast are going to come from that session. And both hands come against the same villain. So I'll tell you a little bit about this villain up front, and then we'll go into the hands. So I've never played with this guy before. I've never seen him before. I'm hanging out at the table. I've been playing a couple hours, and he comes and sits down. And right away within the first couple hands, this guy just kind of like seems like a player. You know, he buys in for the max. He's a younger guy. He's dressed really casually, but like with like nice casually. He's got the neck beard, the unshaven thing going on, uh, handles his chips really cleanly. His bet sizing, I noticed in the first couple hands he played seemed really on point. Just it's kind of hard to describe what like a player seems like. I, I, I don't really know if I'm doing a good job, but this guy definitely was it. And there's a ton of people who try to act the part, you know, wear their big headphones and their hoodies and they actually suck. You know, just because you look like a poker player doesn't mean you're actually a good one. But this guy didn't look like he was trying too hard. And like I said, picking up on his patterns and his bet sizings and all that, the, the guy seemed like a player. And then later in the session, after I'd played the hands that I'm going to tell you, uh, I overheard him talking to another player, and he's a 510 regular over at Lucky Chances, which is another card room in the Bay Area that that I don't really play much at. So the guy was a good player as the session went on. It, it, he he definitely played well, and both the hands that I played are against him. And I really like playing against other good players. You know, it, it's just a different sort of game when you guys are both thinking deeply. And it, it really creates some interesting spots. I don't want to say it's like overly profitable. Certainly, I'd rather play against bad players than good players. But it definitely makes you step up your game if you want to be able to go head to head. So both of these hands today are head to head against this guy. And uh, yeah, let's get on into them. All right, hand one. So we're playing two, three, five at the California Grand Casino. This is this guy's like second orbit. So we're still like 1K effective. 
Playing two three five, there's one limper in early position, and it gets to me in middle position, and I open king jack of clubs to twenty five bucks. The cutoff behind me cold calls the twenty five, and now our proe villain on the button three bets to eighty five. Like I said, this was like his second orbit. He hadn't played a ton of hands, maybe like two or three, but he'd been pretty aggressive in both. So I was not really surprised to see him three bet the button. The original limper folds and it gets back to me. Now, sometimes when I'm trying to decide what I'm going to do, I, I kind of start crossing off options instead of like picking one. You know what I mean? I just start trying to narrow it down. And so obviously our options here facing a three bet out of position are fold call or re-raise. And with king jacket clubs, I certainly don't like a fold, so I'm crossing that off immediately. Number one, King Jack of Clubs is a really good hand, so you know I don't like folding really good hands. The other thing is, I assume that this guy, if he's a real player, he's got light three bets in his bag. He's not just that like crusty reg who you know three bets queens plus an ace king. Like this guy will have some ace five suited and some suited connectors, et cetera, et cetera. So against somebody who's not just three betting and nutted range, you have to defend a wider range. And, and certainly a hand like King Jack suited falls right into that. So now we're left with call or four bet. And I can't say I especially love a four bet because what happens when I four bet is sometimes he calls and then we're playing a really inflated pot out of position with a hand that while King Jack of Clubs is a really good hand, like it can be easily dominated by, by the types of hands he would continue with through a call. You know, his King Queens and his Ace Queens and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, his Ace Jack suited hands like this. Sometimes he'll fold, right? Because he's he's got light three bets, so I'll win the pot then. But then also if he five bet shoves, I have to fold. So I've kind of wasted the value of my really good King Jack of Clubs if I four bet. Taking out the four bet and taking out the fold, I think it's a clear call. And just as an aside, if I had King Jack offsuit, it would actually be the exact opposite. I would never call that hand out of position. I would only four bet or fold it. I would fold it the majority of the time. And then sometimes I would use it as a four bet bluff because it does have pretty good blockers to like ace king and kings and pocket jacks, like some of his really strong hands. So you can use it as a four bet bluff because you don't really care if he five bet shoves, like you're not folding a good hand. And you might be thinking, well, gosh, you're playing King Jack suited and King Jack offsuit, the exact opposite. And, and the answer is, yeah, there's a, there's this great book. I talked about it in the mailbag episode called the course by Ed Miller. And Ed Miller talks a lot about the value of suited hands. And I used to not really understand the value of suited hands. I, I kind of thought like, oh yeah, they, they make a flush like one out of 20 times. Like that's cool. It adds like 5% equity to the hand or whatever, but that's not that big of a deal. But when you start using hands as bluff candidates and you know start pressing the equity of hands that flop flush draws, et cetera, suited hands are just way better for that. In this book, the course, Ed Miller says, the value of suited hands is so great that unsuited hands are essentially unplayable in this game. I don't know if that's exactly verbatim, but it's pretty close. Anyways, I'll let you read the book if uh, if you want more into that. Ed Miller's The Course, just a fantastic book, a real a real good foundational book, I think, for somebody kind of early on in their poker journey. So anyways, yak, yak, yak. Let's get back to poker. There was a limp for five. I raised to 25 with King Jack at clubs. There was a caller to my 25 in the cutoff. 
Now our pro-y villain on the button, three bets to 85. The limper folds, it gets to me. I decide to call and the cutoff gets out of the way too. And we go heads up with the villain to the flop. The flop comes king, queen, nine with one club, the nine of clubs. So king, queen, nine, one club. We have king, jack of clubs. Really nice flop for us, right? We flop top pair. We flop a gutter ball and a backdoor straight draw. Uh, uh, sorry, a backdoor flush draw. I lead with a check as I'm going to do with all my hands here and the villain down bets to 65 into about 190. So he bets about one third pot. And now obviously we're not folding. We've got a great hand. We've got top pair, a gutter ball, a backdoor flush draw. The only question is, do we call or do we check raise? Certainly our hand has some really good check raising qualities to it. We have a backdoor flush draw. We also have a gutter ball. So these are characteristics of hands that I like to use as check raises. That said, we also have top pair. We have king jack of clubs on king queen nine with one club. And I don't necessarily like using my middle strength top pairs as check raises because you kind of get into this weird spot where is it a bluff? Is it a value raise? You're not exactly sure. And that means it's probably not good. You don't necessarily want to waste the good showdown value of your hand. I have a really strong showdown value with top pair. I would be much more apt to use hands with backdoor qualities and gutter qualities, like king, queen, nine with one club, something like 10, nine with a backdoor or queen, jack with a backdoor, something like that. I'd be much more apt to use those hands as check raises than I would a hand with top pair. Because again, I don't want to like, overplay my hand. My hand has enough showdown value where I don't need to inflate the pot big out of position. So I think, yeah, hands like 10-9 suited with a backdoor, queen-jack, queen-10 suited with a backdoor on king-queen-9. Rainbow would be a lot better check-raise candidates than uh, than king-jack with top pair. So I decide to continue through a call for 65, and the turn comes in offsuit three. So we do not pick up an additional club. Again, the board runs out king-queen-9, and then a three on the turn, we have King Jack. I decide to check again, and he thinks about it for a little bit, and he checks back. And we can really start deriving a lot of meaning from his check back on the turn, because he's never checking back with like a set of kings or a set of queens. If he three bet with Jack 10 suited, for example, which I think he might do. Obviously, there's only three combinations of that available because I have the Jack of Clubs. But if he did that, he'd certainly continue betting. King, queen, he'd continue betting. So when he checks back the turn, it essentially caps him at one pair on king, queen, nine, three. Certainly, some of those one pairs beat us. He can have hands like ace, king, or pocket aces. He might check those back for pot control because they're not super strong hands on this board. Uh, and then he'll also have some one pair hands that we're ahead of. Hands like ace-queen for second pair. Hands like queen-jack suited. Hands like pocket queens, uh, sorry, pocket jacks or pocket tens that have a pair and, and flopped a gutter. He's going to have those. So he's going to have a lot of one pair hands that have moderate showdown value. And then he's also going to have some straight up air like, you know, ace five suited or six, seven suited that just totally bricked out and he's just checking to give up. So that's kind of the way I see his range at this point. And that's also one of the other cool things about playing against good players is you can somewhat logically deduce what they might be doing with their range and, and think along with them. And if you're better at it than they are, you can get a lot of value and, and kind of own them in a lot of ways. So the river comes in offsuit four. So the boards run out 
king queen nine three four and there's about 315 bucks in the pot and i decide to lead out i lead for 120 bucks which is a little more than a third of the pot it's like 37 38 pot somewhere in there and he calls very quickly I flip over my king jack for top pair and he flips over ace king for top pair top kicker and he scoops the pot. Now, did I play this hand well? I think I did. I really like my bet on the river. So uh, I'll talk a little bit about the previous streets and I'll go through that quickly because I kind of gave you my thoughts, but I think calling the three bet preflop is good. I think check calling the flop is good for the reasons I talked about. I checked the turn, he checked it back, but I really like my blocker bet here on the river. Because when we think of what his range wants to do, it puts his range in a pretty tough spot. Like if we check, it lets him play his range perfectly. He can check back his medium pairs, his pocket tens and his pocket jacks and his ace queen. He can check those hands back and just see the showdown and we win at showdown. Then when he has hands that beat us, value hands that beat us, his ace kings and his pocket aces, He can actually make a pretty big value bet knowing that he's almost always got the best hand after I've checked all three streets. So we lose less when we're beat and we're going to have to call when he bets a decent amount of the time because we have top pair. So we're going to lose less when we have the worst hand and we're also going to get value from some hands like ace queen and pocket tens and pocket pocket jacks because they're going to have to call sometimes if we bet small. So I think block betting the river is really good here. Obviously, sometimes he just adds air and he just folds the air. So we don't really care. If we check, I wouldn't expect him to bluff with it very often. I think if he wanted to bluff, he'd just keep bluffing on the turn. So I really like the block bet here. I think it's really powerful. You know, I think it just accomplishes a lot of things. Certainly, we lost this hand, but that's okay. We're in the business of playing hands well. And I think I actually played my hand really well on every street here. And sometimes that's poker, right? You you play your hand well and you lose the pot. But if you consistently play your hands well, like the value you get, if you had called with a worse hand, you know, that 120 bucks of value that I would have gotten. Or like in this case, I bet the 120 and he called. Maybe if I check, he bets 175 or 200 or 250. And I'm forced to call sometimes. So I, I saved myself money in this situation. And and over time, that's how your win rate gets really high as you really like tighten up those margins. So I'm not going to put like a full Obama putting a medal on himself meme because, you know, we lost the damn hand. Like, let's not like pat ourselves on the back too hard. But I do like the way I played this hand. And I think I like the way that he played his hand. And I think it was just a matter of of two players playing their hands well. And and that's how it goes. So, uh, so yeah, that's hand one. In hand two, Uh, We play another pot and I don't play it so well. Kind of a similar interesting uh, river decision is this hand, only I don't play it that well at all. So stay tuned for that. All right, hand two, same session. And this hand starts out very similarly to the first hand. There are two limpers in early position for five, and it gets to me in middle position. And I look down at seven, six of clubs, and buddy, you know I'm raising it. I raise it up to 30. And now our young pro-y villain in the cutoff decides to flat call. So no three bet from him. He flat calls the 30 in the cutoff, and both limpers call, and we go to a four-way flop 
And the flop is king seven five with two hearts and a club. And I have seven six of clubs. So I flop middle pair, no kicker, backdoor flush draw, and backdoor straight draw, seven six of clubs on king seven five, two hearts, and one club. Both limpers check to me. And now I think in a multi-way scenario, it's, uh, you know, I'm always a little bit lost in these spots. Uh, I'm not quite sure what the theoretically correct thing to do is, but what makes sense to me here is betting because I have a lot of turn cards that help me out a lot. And I also have middle pair. Certainly that might not be the best hand. There's three other ranges out there that could certainly contain a king or a higher pair, something like that. But if I check and the cutoff checks, an overcard comes a lot of the time, and then it could hit any one of the three ranges. I, I like giving cards multi-way even less than I give like giving free cards heads up because, yeah, there's, there's three other hands that can hit a card if it comes unfavorably to me. So I do decide to bet, and I bet a little under half pot. I bet 55 and a 120, and the young pro in the cutoff makes the call the two limpers get out of the way so now me and the young proy dude we go heads up yet again and the turn my friends is just so 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 good it's an offsuit seven making us trips so king seven five with two hearts and then an offsuit seven on the turn we have seven six of clubs so we turn three of a kind and now i think absolutely ratcheting up the pressure is good I would be doing this with my heart draws, with my strong King X. You know, he's capped in a lot of ways because I know that he's going to three bet ace king probably at 100% frequency. And so I'm just going to want to put a lot of pressure on his range in general. With trips here, I'm just going for straight value. And I go 160 into 230. I bet about 70% pot. I actually think this could be a little larger. I wouldn't mind going... 80, 85% pot, somewhere like, you know, 175 to, to 200, somewhere in there. Um, and I actually think this might be a, a cool overbet spot as well. But in game, I go 70% pot. I, I bet 160 and a 230. And he thinks about it for a minute and he makes the call. So let's talk again. Let's stop and, and think about what we think his range is when he calls twice on King 7, 5, two hearts, and then another seven. And I think it's almost exclusively King X. So some sort of king without a great kicker. Like I said, I don't think he has ace king. So king queen, king jack, king 10, hands like that. And then also flush draws. I think really not that many other hands make a ton of sense. Sometimes he'll show up with a pair of eights or nines in the hole, something like that. But usually it's a king or a flush draw. I also don't think that he has fives full. I don't think he flopped bottom set and then made a full house. I think that he would either raise the flop or the turn because at this point, you know, we started the hand like a little more than 1K deep. I just think he'd be trying to leverage stacks in that situation. So I don't think he has that hand very often at all. It's just a lot of kings and a lot of flush draws. So there's about 550 in the pot going to the river. And the river comes a really, really bad card for, for me. It comes the nine of hearts, putting the third heart on board. So king, seven, five, two hearts, seven, and then the nine of hearts. We have seven, six of clubs, so we have trips. But this is a card that's really bad in two ways. Number one, obviously a good portion of his range is flush draws, and they just got there and, and took the lead from us, so that's bad. But I think the more subtle thing is that it's much harder to get value from king X. 
right? I can't really put in a bet here and expect King X without a, a great kicker to make a call and, and put in a lot of money, right? Because he should be afraid that I was semi-bluffing all the way with hearts and then I got there. So betting big here on the end doesn't really do much for me. And I just think this card is so bad that uh, I just decide to check it. And the villain thinks about it for a second. And then he quickly checks back. I show my 7-6 for trips. And he mucks his hand. And we win the $550 pot. Congratulations to me. Did I play this hand well? No, I don't think I did. So I think my decision pre-flop to raise over limpers with 7-6 of clubs, I do that all the time. I think that's good. I think betting the flop is good for the reasons I talked about. I think the turn sizing, betting 70% pot is fine, but I really do think that betting larger is better because, like I said, I think his range mostly consists of flush draws and king x, and, and I really want to put those hands in the blender. Yeah, and, and I think a lot of my range wants to do that as well. If I'm bluffing with with hearts or you know some sort of some sort of gutter ball draw, something like that, I'm gonna want to put in a really big bet and just put a lot of pressure on his range. So I want to do that with my value as well. I think this would be a cool pot uh, spot for an over bet. Bet something like 250 or 300 and just put the guy in the goddamn cage. But I bet a little small, and I think that's fine. But really, where this hand went off the rails was on the river. Yes, the nine of hearts was a really bad card for me, but that doesn't mean I should check the card. Why? Well, it's the same thing as hand one. If I check here, I let him play his range perfectly. Like I mentioned, I think his range is almost all kings and then almost all flush draws. So I let his hands play perfectly. When he has a king, he just checks back and sees if it's good and no additional money goes in the pot. And when he has a flush, he bets it and I have to call a large majority of the time. And that sucks. So he gets to play his hand perfectly. Now let's think about what happens if I do what I did in the first hand and make a small blocker bet. That puts a lot of pressure on his hands. It means that his King X is going to have to call sometimes, especially a stronger King X like King Jack and King Queen. And then also he's either going to just call his flushes or a lot of the times he can raise and then I'll get out of the way. But what happens is I get additional value against his kings. You know, I, I just can't pussyfoot my way through this hand. Like, this was a very mentally weak check by me. Yes, it was a bad card, but that doesn't mean that I don't stop betting. It just means that I have to adjust my sizing. It just means that I'm only allowed to make small bets here instead of just really pumping it up big. And I'd want to bet small with some of my smash hands too. Like, say I had, you know, fives full myself. I might want to bet small there because I'd want to get calls from King X, but also I'd want him to raise with his flushes and then we could win a much bigger pot than if I just bet big myself. You know what I mean? So like just thinking about my, what my range wants to do on this card, say I had a big flush myself, like ace queen of hearts. I'd still probably want to bet small for the same reasons that, that I'd want to bet fives full small. The reality is this was a bad card for me, but that doesn't mean that I just shut it down. And I did. And I cost myself, you know, I, I don't know how big I should have bet, but maybe like 150 to 200 on the river. I think he calls that a decent amount of time with his king. And so at the end of the day, I really fucked up and, and lost value by pussing out of this hand. You know, my balls just totally shriveled up and I didn't get any value for my hand. And, and that sucks, man. Like you turn trips in a pretty big pot against a good player, man. You got to get value out of it. 
and and I lost value here. And and mostly the thing about the hands that I'm talking about here is both of these hands are like medium sized pots and they're very tactical pots. And not all of No Limit Hold'em is these big bluffs or big all-ins or flopping the nuts or all that shit. I know it makes for a good podcast fodder, but the reality is, is that most of poker are medium-sized pots that if you play them tactically correct, you're going to gain a big EV edge over all your opponents. Uh, I did it in hand one. I didn't do it in hand two. And I, and I do think the interesting thing is I played hand one well, but I lost it. I played this hand not very well, and I won it. And that's how poker goes. And I think in either situation, you can critique your own play and say, hey, how do I get better at these little subtleties of medium-sized pots? How do I improve my game in that regard? And, uh, you know, I, I did not make it happen this time in this hand. I, I didn't play it well. And, uh, yeah, kind of deserved to be launched into the sun for pussing out on the end and getting no value for, for my trip. Jesus H. Christ, you know, what are we doing here? Bad job by me, but overall... You know, it ended up being a pretty decent session. And like I said, I haven't been able to play a ton of poker lately. So it was great to get out there. And certainly as fantasy draft season comes to an end, I get to play more poker. So I appreciate you guys being patient. I appreciate you guys listening. And uh, we will be back next week with another episode of Read Them and Weep. Until then, my friends, play good and run pure.